Again, I never know how to start this podcast, but we're back to psychology through the eyes of faith, and I have Professor Gingrich here. You can go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, so I'm Dr. Heather Daisy Gingrich. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Daisy because it's not my legal name, but it's my maiden name, and mm-hmm. I have it as part of my professional name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I teach here at Cold Falls College. This is my first year. I teach in the School of Graduate Studies, mm-hmm. and I coordinate... My main job is developing and coordinating the five course 15 credit graduate certificate in trauma therapy mm-hmm. that we have just started offering in the fairly new grad school. So I'm very excited about that. Maybe some of your listeners will end up um, wanting to take that trauma certificate yeah. or even take a course or two in it. I know I do. As soon as I saw it or heard about it, I was like, I want to take that. Well, great. Because you don't even have to have an undergraduate degree in counseling psychology. You just have to have an undergraduate degree. I thought you had to have a master's to take that certification. Mm-hmm. <sighs> now, if you had a master's degree already, of course, yeah. you're very well prepared yeah. for it. But wow. I tried to make the courses that would be so applicable to someone who's been in the field, who's had a master's degree or a doctoral degree for a long time, but mm-hmm. hasn't had a lot of trauma background, yeah. as well as thinking about pastors or lay people Mm -hmm. that are interested in helping others and knowing that there's a lot of trauma around Mm -hmm. that that someone with no background in counseling could could still gain a lot out of it so that's so good that's so good to hear also because I this whole time I was like oh I won't be able to take it until I get my master's because I'm probably staying here for my master's so I was like well that's good news I could probably take it earlier and some mm-hmm. students are who are in the MA American Family program are adding a certificate on to mm-hmm. their degree or, or um, they're taking it right after mm-hmm. or even concurrently um, with their degree. So there are lots of, of options. But I do teach a couple of courses in the American Family mm-hmm. program as well. Awesome. So since you said you've been here for a year, how like have you liked it since you've been here? Has it, has it been for you? It's been great. Um, I... We live about uh, near Toluca Falls, mm-hmm. um, actually, which was even more kind of in the foothills of yeah. the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so I um, work on my back porch most of the time. We have trees all around in the pond. Mm, that's nice. Um, and so I'm really glad that TFC is not in Atlanta, that it's in northeast Georgia, because uh-huh. I think this is just really beautiful. I thought I would miss the mountains in Colorado, because that's mm. where we were for 17 years before moving here. And I mean... The Colorado mountains are beautiful, but mm-hmm. this area of Georgia is is beautiful in in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Where Colorado doesn't have much green, yeah, it has mainly grass, and so I'm loving mm-hmm. the green because I'm I'm Canadian from Ontario, and where mm-hmm. it's lots of water and trees and arboreals. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it remind this reminds me more of home. That's so good. Okay, yeah. well, um, I'll go into the first question. If you'd want to give a brief definition of what, oh, and to preface, your, would you mind telling everybody your like specialty and what you do? So my specialty is in complex trauma and dissociative mm-hmm. disorders. And so um, I think your first question actually is related to complex yeah. trauma. So complex, maybe I can weave that in. Yeah. Complex trauma um, is, is a type of PTSD. PTSD. So someone will still have PTSD symptoms such as, you know, flashbacks or nightmares or mm-hmm. the kinds of things, you know, hypervigilant, you know, startle responses and so on that we associate with PTSD. But 
it usually refers to people who have experienced trauma in childhood that's relational in nature mm-hmm. and karmic. So instead of you know, someone can have PTSD from one incident that can be horrible, mm-hmm. but when a child has experienced ongoing trauma for days, months, years, sometimes even decades, mm-hmm. that trauma impacts their entire developmental trajectory. Mm-hmm. You know, so that means when someone comes in for counseling, it isn't just the trauma, but it's all of their developmental deficits that have to be worked on too. So, so that's my main area of specialty. My subspecialty is dissociative disorders. The extreme mm-hmm. of that is dissociative identity disorder, which could occur in multiple personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a subspecialty okay. area for me. Wonderful. Um, so what drew you to this field of study and when did this interest start to take place in your life? God. Yeah. I, I did not choose this. In fact, it's still kind of surprising to me when mm-hmm. students will sometimes come and say I'm getting a master's degree because I want to really um, counsel people who have a trauma background yeah um, um, or or that clients even come in saying I'm coming for counseling because I know I have a background in the past that that are influencing me now when mm-hmm. I started I, I was the youngest one in my MA program when I graduated mm-hmm. so I've been doing this work for 40 years but I'm not as old as that sounds um, <laughs> yeah and um, you know when I started no one came in saying I have a trauma background and no counselor said I want to be a trauma therapist mm-hmm. um, so I just was working at a Christian counseling center seeing individuals couples families you know trying to figure out what would be best for me as a new new graduate yeah. and uh, there was only one other woman that was working there, and she eventually um, left there, so I was the only female working there, so I ended up seeing more and more women, it seemed to be overwhelmingly fewer couples, and along the way, um, um, women would come in, starting off saying something like, well, I was younger at the time, so I had lots of young people that came in, students, mm-hmm. and uh, would say, yeah, I'm having some struggles in college. Yeah, I'm having some emotional difficulties. Yeah, I'm having problems with my family. Um, or, you know, as we're older, I'm having some marital difficulties or I have difficulties with my kids. But then, after a few weeks or months, sometimes after a couple of years, in severe cases, would be, well, I never told anyone about this, but these things happened to me when I was a kid, and maybe that has something to do with some of my struggles. And I'm mm. like, you think? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, but it just wasn't, trauma wasn't talked about, or, mm. you know, really at all. And even the fact that child abuse existed was really only becoming acknowledged in the, you know, late 1970s and 80s. Um, there are textbooks that say that child abuse is so rare that it is one in every several hundred thousand children that might have been abused, or even more than that. So, you know, our world, uh, our knowledge of what really happens has changed. Mm-hmm. And so just as women began to tell me these stories, I was saying, man, truth, it isn't just women who are abused or survivors of complex yeah. trauma. I had to figure out what to do. So I'd scramble, try to go to conferences. There wasn't much written yet, nothing in the Christian world at all. So mm-hmm. I was just um, totally scrambling and... And I think part of what happens is 
you know what, so I've heard a few stories and, and recognized um, some symptoms and I will start to see indicators that maybe this person's been traumatized and, mm -hmm. and kind of gradually has kept, kept going and this healed. Um, so eventually, um, my husband and I and, and our three older boys were little. We were missionaries in the Philippines for eight years and I did my doctorate there and I studied family dissociation in the Philippines and so mm -hmm. that started as my publishing in, in the area and I've written a couple of books in the area and I've also pastored in Canada and, and, and so just God's kind of kept bringing people to me and I had to figure it out and with God's help here I am. Yeah wow that's an amazing story and I I definitely um what's the word relate to when you say like it's so surprising when people say that they want to come into this field because even like when I, t I talk to people I'm like I know God has put this kind of interest on my heart and it's not my own because there's no way my human self would want to be like yes I want to go and listen to these stories that are very intense and very yeah. hard you know just because it's like no like I don't think I would have this kind of interest without like Christ in my life and I think that's that's so crazy to me but also so good because I just I do have this big interest and I I want to see where it takes me and and when I found about or I learned about complex PTSD in my crisis and trauma class last year I just dove in I was so interested mm -hmm. and I learned more and more so that's that's so amazing like your path and it sounds kind of like you've been one of the like main contributors to this field would you say that's true within within christian circles yeah you know there have been lots of other people mm -hmm. you know along the way that indirectly mentored me either through their books or yeah. um, diane langberg is kind of the grandmother oh. of, of this area in of complex trauma and christian counseling oh. uh, i was so amazed i used her books as textbooks you know years ago when i was teaching courses in in trauma you know never dreaming that I would actually meet her that she knows me and refers yeah. people to me and she's got much older now and in some ways I've I've, I've stepped into some of the roles she mm -hmm. has had um, for example American Association of Christian Counselors yeah I'm very involved with I do a lot of webinars for them or um, recordings mm -hmm. of courses and presenting at our little conferences mm -hmm. and we do a conference and there's like 8,000 people so yeah. they do a workshop and there are like 800 people there yeah um but diane langberg is the one that got a trauma track going in aecc back decades before anyone else was doing that and especially complex trauma mm -hmm. so again there's been more knowledge about PTSD in general, although that's even relatively recent. Yeah. But if people are going to know something about trauma, it's going to know it's about PTSD. Complex mm -hmm. trauma, even a lot of people who call themselves trauma counselors and oh, trauma yeah. therapists don't understand complex trauma or that its treatment is different. Yeah, I've, I've even noticed that. I talked to a friend one time, and she takes like online counseling. And she, I think she, mentioned, she mentioned it. She, like, she knows about it, too, and said, oh, I these things happened to me and she mentioned the word and she's like the counselor was like what does that mean and when she told me I was like that's surprising but at the same time I I can't blame a lot of counselors because it's so new and it's so interesting and crazy to me how new it is because it's it seems so prevalent and well like, and that's the thing I mean it's not new in terms of people's experience yeah 
they are the new new teen movement that Katrina has showed us that it's been around for decades it just hasn't been acknowledged Mm -hmm. and and even more recent grads you know there are no trauma courses for most uh, accreditors you know say at master's level programs they don't even have a requirement for a course and if they do it's usually like a crisis and disaster course Mm. it's not complex trauma yeah so a lot of people even graduating now um, as well as those that graduated years and years ago may have not been exposed to the fact that you know the term complex trauma even if they know the term don't understand that treatment and the healing process is so different right Mm. so but that's discouraging. I mean, that's why I'm an educator, and that's why yeah. I'm so excited about developing this trauma program mm-hmm. um, at, at school here at PFC because I desperately want more people who are interacting with people who have been traumatized mm-hmm. to know what they're doing yeah. so that more people can get help. And yeah. that way I can kind of multiply my knowledge more because I can only yeah. see so many people myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I can train other people to do it, then hopefully they can be helpful and make that ripple effect yeah kind of like discipling like we disciple multiple and they go on exactly it's the same idea yeah yeah and you mentioned the double acc and there's going to be a conference in nashville this september right are you going to be there like speaking? Oh yes, I will be all over the place. I think I saw your name on one of the tracks, and me and, and um, Dr. Vickers was like introducing it to us and the whole thing. And me and my friends are incredibly excited about it, and we've already signed up to go and everything. Oh, so that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot. I'm actually one of, one of the people that chooses what will be presented in their trauma. Yeah. Pathology will be trauma induced factors. Mm-hmm. Also, our kind of PTSD crack that's different yeah. from ours and so I've, I've um, been involved in choosing that there were so many great proposals this yeah. year and um, some really really great offerings within that track and so I'll be presenting on um, I think dissociation and dissociative disorders are kind of like different there mm-hmm. than um, treatment or like complex PTSD mm-hmm. in general Lots of other good tables are being happening there, and PFC is going to have uh, a table there with information oh. about our grant programs. That's so good. Trauma certificate. Oh, I'm really excited about it. And um, just a question that's kind of off topic of what I've gotten ready. Would you say dissociation and complex PTSD like are associated in some kind of way? Oh, definitely. I haven't met a complex trauma survivor who doesn't dissociate to some degree and mm-hmm. dissociation di- basically you know kind of in layperson's terms is just kind of compartmentalization just mm-hmm. has to do with um not having maybe having amnesia mm-hmm. of, of trauma you know lots of people that that might tell you yeah i came from a, a f- i know that things weren't good in my family growing up mm-hmm. or you know i'm an abuse survivor but they just kind of know that but yeah. to ask them well can you tell me about that abuse is like, well, I, d- I actually can't tell you and it's a really horrible thing that I was. Yeah. Or, or some people that don't even know that. They may say, you know, there's some things that weren't weren't great in my growing up years, but I, I don't, I can't tell you yeah. what that is. Um, and so that's all associated with amnesia. You know, there are some memory blocks. Um, but basically it just means 
a disconnection from some aspect of yourself or experience. Mm-hmm. You know, where people can have big physical sufferings or like some physical pain and get it checked out and there's nothing actually physically wrong. And it turns out later that it's actually the body's way of trying to alert the person that there's mm-hmm. something to work on here. Mm-hmm. That, that maybe it's it's something there that the body's got to get to a safe point in time. Mm-hmm. Maybe in control and it's happening even though so that could be more pain or it could be an emotion or terror or fear or you know, I think a lot of anxiety disorders are are really the result of people with dissociated affect or mm-hmm. emotions and they're that are separated out from the the cognitive knowledge of what happened to them. Mm-hmm. So I would say that yeah, my, my whole model of treatment um, has dissociation really at its core in both um, how people work, how, how, how symptoms work and also how it can be helpful in treatment mm-hmm. for like impaired symptoms and um, help them function better and I kind of use that ability to dissociate to be helpful as an adult not just helpful in helping yeah. kids survive. Yeah and I, I think that what I've noticed at least in my experiences, people that have talked about their childhoods with each other and one person will like, they're both, they'll both be talking about it and one person will be like, that's actually not normal. Like that's, like one person who has been through abuse might think, oh, like that's normal. And then the other person w- would like, with a different childhood, probably a more healthy one, would be like, oh, that's actually not. And the other person's right. like, surprise. And I feel like it opens this, in, this huge door to a whole bunch of other things that they were not ready to like deal with. Oh, yeah. And it's such a crazy experience. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that is true. Often people who come from dysfunctional families just assume that this is the norm. Yeah. You know, and if they haven't been exposed, they haven't, you know, been, you know, in someone else's family or to healthy family, they might be Mm -hmm. kind of see how things are different. Or they might just assume that it's it's all fake, Mm -hmm. you know, because their family might look good from the outside, Mm -hmm. but to the inside, and they know there's a whole lot wrong with this family, but but everyone's been told you can't talk about what's happening, Mm -hmm. you know, so it will take someone a long time inside a healthy family to really be able to recognize that, oh, this really is different, this Mm -hmm. isn't just some kind of pretense or putting up something for, that looks good on the outside, this really is different. Yeah. The way these parents behave is different. The way this parent is different. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So um, I found your book, Restoring Your Shattered Self. Can you tell me a little bit about it, what it's about, and the journey you took to write and publish it? I've been wanting to um, write that book for a long time. Mm-hmm. I had to wait until I actually had a, a sabbatical where I could have some time mm-hmm. to write it. Now, basically, it's it contains everything I learned over the over 30 years I've been practicing before I wrote it mm-hmm. um, and I wrote it uh, I don't know how closely you've looked at it but I tried to write it in like a non highly academic style mm-hmm. so it would be Were a little bit more readable yeah like a conversation yeah and giving lots of examples of how you would actually interact with someone what you could actually say so mm-hmm. almost like transcripts mm-hmm. uh, of sessions and so on because while it's kind of geared towards kind of a master's level, mm-hmm. you know, counseling or like a family student um, or clinicians, you know, that don't know much about trauma. 
I also wanted to make it as accessible to pastors or lay leaders, mm -hmm. just that try not to use a lot of counseling ease without yeah. um, explaining what it was I was talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and surprisingly enough, I've had survivors read it. I didn't expect that because mm -hmm. the subtitle is um, about destroying a shattered self, um, a Christian counselor's um, guide to complex trauma. Yeah, so it's clear it's actually supposed to be for counselors, but yeah. um, but I've had survivors tell me, I love this book, and I've taken it to my counselor and told my counselor, I want you to work with me this way. And that's you kind of so wonder good. what the counselors think of that, but you yeah. know, it's exciting to see that, that survivors have identified um, with it. Mm -hmm. And so really that's what I've, um, I've wanted, and people kept saying, well, how can I learn more about Spirit of Hope when I present it? students and be like well you know they did some of this or this but nothing was kind of totally encompassing what I do and so it was exciting to be able to just put all that together and go okay here it is this mm -hmm. is what I do and this is something you can learn how to do yeah that's so good and I I haven't fully looked at it I just found it and I I did just read the front cover but just with that itself I know I'd be super interested to read it since that's like the focus I want to go into just if anyone wants to buy it, make sure you get the second edition because it's mm. it's been in two editions and I, you know, a couple of years ago it was updated to mm -hmm. DSM five and updated oh. in terms of brain research mm -hmm. and um, you know some other things. So, so is with the mention of DSF, DSM five is complex PTSD in there yet or it is not uh, much to the dismay um, of my colleagues in this field mm -hmm. who who have been asked to do a lot of research and research was done in order to get it included as a diagnosis mm -hmm. but I found out that DSM speaks there's a lot of political mm -hmm. stuff that happens and it did not get included mm -hmm. the, so that's really bad news because it means you know if it's not in the DSM for some people it doesn't exist for yeah. them um, but there is a place where it's sort of included um, and that is the Criteria for PTSD tends to allow for two subtypes. Um, well, not two, uh, to allow for a dissociative subtype. Mm -hmm. And that dissociative subtype is where you could put complex PTSD for mm -hmm. a lot of people. So the only difficulty with that is that we're concerned that people with dissociative disorders who have previously had a, what used to be called multiple personality disorder will get stuck into that category rather than which is a little helpful, but won't give them enough of the treatment they need. Mm -hmm. You know, like people are hesitant to call something, you know, a dissociative disorder, but they'll go ahead and put it here in the dissociative subtype. So yeah. it's not perfect. Yeah. Uh, we're really hoping that the next iteration of DSM will include it. They had tried to, when it, it became clear that complex PTSD was not going to be included, mm -hmm. they tried to have developmental trauma included so to look at the child children mm. who are exhibiting these symptoms because then the hope was that if it was recognized in childhood then you go well what happens when these kids grow up if they don't have treatment okay well it mm. has been included in other categories yeah. so that was the thinking but it still unfortunately um, didn't work yeah it's a little bit disheartening yeah a lot disheartening yeah it was kind of traumatic for those <laughs> in the field really because yeah 
because you don't get to help all those people that you know, like a lot of people that suffer the most. Right. We're not getting help. And that's again part of why the family court bill is if someone doesn't have the care while they get post-op trauma because it's not in the DSM, which is one of the reasons that a lot of families don't include it, like mm-hmm. if there's some other medical grounds. Yeah. Um, so on the next question, how has learning and studying complex PTSD impacted your biblical beliefs throughout your life? Well, it has made me more aware of both the depths of evil, mm-hmm. what people can do, other you know I've been hosting some of the very worst and some of my clients have been so severely traumatized in so many different ways um, that really you know it's not only made them evil they just saw it some of what they have experienced mm-hmm. but then us seeing God's power over evil mm-hmm. and seeing firsthand kind of victory over over that evil and so I feel as though I've been exposed to both extremes, both the extremes of what Satan does and how Satan distorts things, and also the power that that there is in God. Um, and and the wonderful healing that is possible. So mm-hmm. that's been amazing. You know, I feel as though I've gotten a window of into the spiritual realm that a lot of people don't get mm-hmm. um, what that's done is made me even all the more thankful for what god has done for me um, yeah and uh, i'm totally 100 percent convinced that god's power is 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 stronger mm-hmm. than satan's power is yeah because you're getting a window into a healing of some of the worst things that can happen to people and i feel like that like opposite of it just shows like how good god is i feel like the like when good can come out of the worst is when we're like wow like yeah god works in amazing ways that's so good yeah yeah so what from your extensive knowledge about cptsd what would you say are the main causes of this disorder uh pretty clear it's trauma domestic Mm -hmm. child abuse um for the most part whether that's physical Mm -hmm. emotional verbal, spiritual, sexual, mm-hmm. um, you know, any, any kind of abuse is, is, is generally what it is. There are some other things, like someone could, could grow up in a very stable family and not have been abused, mm-hmm. but if there's any kind of an incident of violence later on that they end up getting into a relationship with the abuser, mm-hmm. um, even, if, even if someone has kind of a solid foundation and identity mm-hmm. and a good spiritual you know life going into that relationship if someone is calling you ruthlessly stupid and abusing you verbally and maybe physically or sexually too it doesn't take very long for those foundations to erode pretty quickly mm-hmm. so i think some survivors of um, intimate partner violence whether that's that they're married to or they're dating in a relationship well as some people who've been in uh, in captivity like you know kidnapped or been prisoners of war where they've been um, maybe some kind of relationship developed even as a captor or, mm-hmm. or whatever and then um, 
you know, twisting it, twisting it, or just sense of betrayal that they kind of thought that this person was okay. They weren't the ones that were hurting them. They were these other people, and mm-hmm. then they ended up not protecting or, you know, trafficking survivors or trafficked survivors. Mm-hmm. So that was the most part. Um, most of them haven't been trafficked by the survivors or they were trafficked or they were trafficked by their families mm-hmm. um, when they were younger and they were trafficked as So when you say intimate partner violence, that does that fall under domestic violence, you'd say? Mm-hmm. So domestic violence is a broader term that also includes child abuse often. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was that was the name that was formally kind of given to like spouse abuse, mm-hmm. you know, primarily. Um, but they the term that's most often used these days is intimate partner violence because they recognize that you don't have to be married to somebody you don't mm-hmm. have to necessarily be you know living with someone that can happen in dating relationships um, gay couples can be uh, victims of domestic um, violence mm-hmm. as well so that term is just you know kind of more inclusive of all ages and all kinds of um, mm-hmm. relationships so basically accessible with where there's um, some kind of romantic relationship um, doesn't necessarily have to be living under the same roof mm-hmm. and um, to go back to like the kids being part of that violence there was um, I think when I was studying this in the crisis and trauma class one, one video we watched was it was so interesting to me that it said the children portrayed more like trauma later on just from watching like parents like one abuse the other or vice versa versus the child being abused itself Mm. and I thought like how I just thought that was insane like it it was such a new fact to me and I never thought of it you'd think like for regular like for people who don't even know anything about this they're like oh like clearly if you know if I'm watching two people versus if I'm getting it I'm getting it's worse but like not Not for the kids and they don't even have to have witnessed it they might just hear it through the walls or parents might think that the kids don't know anything about it but Mm -hmm. the child sees bruises the next morning kids know even if parents think they don't know they try and hide it from them you know more fast as they raise hands they will know and however it is they know um it's going to be really damaging for them most likely So what are the common disorders you would say? Because you already talked about how in the DSM it might get misdiagnosed for dissociative. What would you say are the most common disorders other than that that can get misdiagnosed? Well, schizophrenia is a big one Mm -hmm. um, because with uh, dissociative identity disorder, the whole voice is altered. Voices, there's um, that that's psychotic. Mm -hmm. So it can be ID schizophrenia. But um, if I'm recovered strongly in general, not mm-hmm. dissociative disorders can be um, bipolar disorder because very often um, complex trauma symptoms, it can be a lot of mood dysregulation. And mm-hmm. so it can kind of look as though there's mania mm-hmm. um, and depression. And there might be, but it doesn't really fit mm-hmm. bipolar disorder. But you could go through the DSM and, and uh, 
and once the slugs were here, some could be reconceptualized as climate disorders. Mm -hmm. So treating eating disorders, well, there's been research. I mean, those of us that have worked in the field have known just anecdotally that that a lot of people who struggle with disorders do then have trauma histories or childhood or research has shown that they have. Um, a lot of people, uh, not everyone, but a lot of people with eating disorders have uh, a trauma history of some some kind. Mm -hmm. um, I already mentioned like mood disorders like that, anxiety disorders or depressive disorders and anxiety depression could be connected to past trauma that they may not know that that's what it's connected to. Mm -hmm. So all a mental health professional has to go on if they're not looking for complex trauma symptoms is well, this person's struggling with disordered mood. Mm -hmm. You know, so they, they put into one of those categories. Um, obsessive compulsive disorders could be trauma related. Trauma is so unpredictable that people, you know, it's living in so out of control of what happens to them. So for some it can lead to attempts to gain control over things and that's Compulsive disorders, mm -hmm. um, personality disorders. If if a trauma happens to a child who's a little older, they're not going to develop a dissociative disorder. Um, that is like that is an extreme from personalities, but they may develop a borderline personality disorder or um, antisocial personality disorder, or other other personality disorders. So really, I mean, we could look at it just so many disorders that potentially could have a trauma background, but the DSM mm -hmm. doesn't generally talk much about causation. It mm -hmm. just has lists of symptoms. Um, so yeah. so the, you know, there are reasons for that, but the problem is if, if there is actually trauma that's a cause, then it could be doing all these other things to try to manage symptoms mm -hmm. and never really get full healing. Yeah, I feel like that's what I've noticed as a student. It's so much focus on symptoms, but as a student, I've noticed, wow, like these all kind of deal, m like most of them with something, like some kind of trauma that has happened to people, like some kind of usually childhood trauma. And I've never thought about it before, but now I'm like, why, why don't we kind of hit the root? And I feel like that's what working with clients with complex PTSD does, is work with the yeah. root of their problems and help them heal through that. But one of the difficulties is, is that's long, that's long hard work, mm -hmm. you know, that depending on what's happened to someone and how extensive it's been and how traumatic it's been, it can be years, it could even be decades yeah. of work and not everyone has the energy or the motivation or the money. Mm -hmm. um, insurance doesn't pay for long-term therapy, mm -hmm. you know, general insurance will pay for a certain number of sessions a year or something. So, you know, it's insurance companies would rather, you know, pay for parts of the medication than mm -hmm. uh, for the other kind of things rather than do a deeper therapies. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to ultimately resolve the trauma. So that's a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how would you say complex PTSD impacts those who suffer from it relationally, spiritually, and physically? Well, it's, it vastly changes. Um, physically, um, 
first of all, there can be a lot of actual physical injury mm-hmm. that's resulting from physical components to this trauma, whether it's physical abuse, or mm-hmm. it's you know breaking a young child that damages damages them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but even if there are no kind of you know, if the injuries have healed, one of the things I found is also in getting older, it's not hard in getting older as well. Um, so broken bones or other injuries that that cut that heal that seem to heal now they're showing up in problems as they age mm-hmm. um, you know with increased arthritis or with problems with eyes or mm-hmm. teeth or just all kinds of things that that you know because the body starts to decay anyway mm-hmm. sites that there's been injury that become more problematic again but even if there isn't that kind of injury, um, there's a lot of research that shows that stress hormones like cortisol, children who are abused have high levels of cortisol and mm-hmm. stress hormones, and then as if they are not given treatment, um, they they have a similar chronic behavior when they're when they go around high levels of these hormones in their system, and that impacts the immune system. Mm-hmm. So then. A lot of survivors end up having trouble with their some of their immune-related conditions mm-hmm. too that are, that are not psychosomatic per se. They they heal mm-hmm. conditions, but they're a result of the immune system just being compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of that kind of thing. Um, so that's the physical. What were the other two? Relational and spiritual. And spiritual. Then relational. There are huge implications relationally because complex trauma has been done at the hands of another human being. Mm-hmm. Um, the sense of safety and relationship can be very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even as a friend to someone, if someone who's trying to be a friend, um, and they notice that this person, you know, kind of likes your approach and then pushes you away or mm-hmm. creates some drama in the relationship, they're like, what are they doing? Well, it's they're, they're, they're unconsciously usually mm-hmm. trying to keep you at a distance and if you get too close then that can be too threatening because you might hurt them mm-hmm. or you might perpetrate against them because um, that's what they experience as well and that can be so so ingrained mm-hmm. and even if um, some of those reactions may not even be adult reactions you know the adult may know that this person is hurt but there might be some scared inner child who is pushing away or having a tantrum or mm-hmm. creating the drama. I'm not talking about DID here. I'm mm-hmm. just talking about you know, kind of trauma states yeah. and you know, the individual themselves might not even know why they reacted that way, but they're just being kind of triggered. Um, and relational triggers are, are sweet. So it's just really hard mm-hmm. for someone to learn how to trust. So, so relationships generally are very difficult people with complex trauma backgrounds and people without some healing. Mm-hmm. And then relationship with God can be very complicated because that's a relationship too. Um, and if someone's an incest survivor, then God is father because their father has used them well. Mm-hmm. And was God a perpetrator? Well, maybe it wasn't incest, but it was, um, you know, often, and this breaks my, my heart when I hear clients saying, you know, I just can't ever forgive and forgive that God just stopped making me. Mm-hmm. God just stopped 
I was part of the Freeman process. And look back and see what God was there, what God was behind the scenes, and what, mm-hmm. what God did have been secret and hidden and reserved. It, you know, it wasn't absent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, God doesn't stop abuse because we have free will, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, now, that's not an explanation like the other trauma survivor, mm-hmm. because that's a very cognitive response when the when the, the difficulty spiritually come come from a very different place, mm-hmm. uh, an emotional place and angst, which is, you know, more like, my God, my God, why why have you forsaken me? You know, like Jesus mm-hmm. did on the cross. You know, saying, well, you know, God created us with free will, isn't yeah. going to cut it, right? But, um, but it's understandable that people are going to wrestle with that. Whether mm-hmm. they're Christian, you know, if they identify as Christians, they might have a relationship with God, but might really wrestle with that, or they they might say that they're atheists. In which case, when they ask them, well, tell me if there, there's a actually a Jewish psychotherapist, um, Dr. Rizzuto, who um, I thought had a fascinating question. She said that she would ask people who people who were atheists or um, were angry at God. She said, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. <laughs> that's an interesting question isn't right it? there isn't it that's a good question you know in general it's going to be a very punitive sense of god not a very mm-hmm. biblical sense of god not an accurate mm-hmm. reflection of god a god who's somehow limiting or perpetrating um now there are some people so, so that can be problematic on the other hand there are there are, there are some of the trauma survivors who are able to identify with jesus and rather than you know God is judge or God the Father, you know, is, you know, some kind of perpetrator and mm-hmm. recognize that a good shepherd is safe and can actually be be really helped along and strengthened through their faith if their spirituality is a resource mm-hmm. for them. Um, and sometimes it can be some of both, you know, like our faith can be a resource, but can also be these struggles and yeah. like depending on what's going on at the time. Yeah. And to go back to what you were saying about, like, you wouldn't tell trauma victims, oh, well, there's reasons why this happens. And it reminds me of a discussion I had with somebody that said, well, you can't, I think it was actually, it was a professor from Pacific Atlanta Beach University, some something like that, who studies, like, in depth evil in the Bible and explanations and all that. And one thing he posed was you can't give a logical explanation to an emotional problem so like with a you know a mother who just lost her child over something very traumatic you can't just you have to go at it with emotionality first but if you're talking with somebody that wants a logical problem that's when you don't go at it with emotionality and that was a very interesting thing to learn and it really i feel like it would help a lot of people to empathize better with others yeah, yeah, so I think there's a, there's a, a time and a place for the theological cognitive mm-hmm. explanation. And, yeah. and usually in trauma counseling, we, we'll get there, but you're exactly right. That's not where you start. You start with empathy and, you mm-hmm. know, um, sometimes, you know, the clients will ask me questions like, you know, how, how do you, like, why did God allow this to happen? Mm-hmm. And I will not come back with, Sometimes I'll, I'll say, uh, I'll empathize with, 
and I like put it so much that it's hard to imagine a guy that has sex with me that's that's not good. Mm. Other times, I'll say, you know, that's on the top of my list that I should be working on because. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good answer to give, um, and it it's very interesting as someone who is taking wisdom literature right now, and we studied the Book of Job and and suffering and I've even learned like the multiple reasons as to why it happens and to see in depth how even Job's friends didn't do a very good job at comforting him and throughout the whole book like the journey that he takes um, it's very it's very eye-opening and, and interesting but um yeah and you know i think we're a little hard on job's friends because mm. initially they did really well oh yeah though they just sat with him for how many days yeah. like days Multiple. and days and days mm. like nine days or something yeah. at I least forget. a week i think at least a week yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean which is much more than most of us are willing to do oh, right yeah. so they but then after they sat with him for that long and they're you know they start to lose patience yeah. right and they're kind of yeah. like, okay, enough of this. There must be a reason. You must have, yeah. y- you know, done something against mm-hmm. God's laws, and, and they go into it. But they yeah. initially did really well. They did what they were supposed to, just kind of sat there with their friend. And, yeah. and w- you know, we don't know what word, whether they said any word, but through their presence, it yeah. sounded as though they were empathizing, which is what it was supposed to do. But, yeah. you know, even those of us who tried it really hard, I mean, it's really hard not do what Job's friends did. Yeah. Even if we start off well, you know, we might have a time when we kind of, okay, yeah. I'll advise for the first two years is the only healing process, but you know, <laughs> that's the time by two years they should be better. Yeah, I've, I've, ha- I've had clients who've had therapists who yeah. basically, yeah, you know, I know this is going to take to do a process, I'll be here with you, and then but in their head they had a timeline mm-hmm. and then they were kind of like, you know, this isn't working, I need to see somebody else or even pain it, and like, wow. And just total damage by spiritual abusing and yeah and so yeah it's it's crazy and it reminds me of this video i watched for class and it was a mother who lost a son and basically it said like i thought i was over the grief and seven years later one thing happened where she noticed and she's right back like grief Mm. is an is a and i feel like grief does play into complex ptsd because you're grieving like even what happens to you and it's a roller coaster and especially healing is and i think a lot of people and even christians tend to forget that when they try to empathize with others is that like oh i thought you were better but it's like this is a this is a journey it's not gonna just i'm not gonna be perfect no one's perfect yeah it's a process it's not uh it's kind of sad i get so frustrated when i hear christians i mean they're trying to be helpful but Mm -hmm. they just can't answer the throw the scripture verse Mm. And it's like, um, that's not the way Jesus treated people. Mm-hmm. He met them where they were at, and he interacted very differently with different people. Yeah. You know, so, so some people, uh, even the way he confronted was different with different people. You know, so like the woman at the well, he basically just kind of told her that he knew about, you know, about their relationships and that she yeah. wasn't married to the man that she was living with, and. And she ended up, um, you know, that's what she needed to begin yeah. her kind of healing yeah. journey is just this man that knows, knows me. The rich young ruler is the kind of gets called and he said, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, give up all you have 
take if they don't come follow me or if they see that it is sanity because I have great love. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Jesus did say to him, you foolish young man, you should know better than to ask for that. So I know you're not ready to give up the love. Yeah. He just, you know, um, his way of confronting him was very gentle. And so we don't know if that man came back later on. Whereas to the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said kind of straight out, you know, you whitewash tombs, you mm-hmm. say that you believe in God and then uh, others, you know, he just threw in, a, you know, threw in the sand when someone was coming out or mm-hmm. he had children come and sit on his knee and so the disciples, no, let them come and, uh, you know, I mean, he just responded so differently depending on your individual and your situation and mm-hmm. that's what we're called to do is to look at somebody in need right now and, um, and not offer them this you know, it is true that, that Jesus is there and Jesus can heal. But mm-hmm. when you're in the middle of really struggling, someone can't take in that truth. Yeah. They can learn it over time. It can come. Or they may know it in their head, but knowing it in their head and knowing that truth within them is something different. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where it takes time and process for, for what someone knows in their head to go deep into their heart. Yeah. And uh, dealing with the how alone isn't going to be helpful. Yeah. I feel like, and I feel like that's, like, what we're talking about is it's so hard, like you said, we're so quick to give answers and solutions, and it's kind of almost like, I feel like ingrained in us that I've noticed, but we're called to empathize, and we're called to be patient with people, even if it feels like we're not seeing progress, like, God sees what we don't see, and we have to remember that, so, yeah, um, so when counseling clients who suffer from complex PTSD, what would you say is the hardest part to helping them heal from their wounds? The hardest for them or the hardest for me? For you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there are different ways that things can be hard. I mean, the main thing is probably just hearing mm-hmm. some horrendous stories. And I think when mm-hmm. I first started doing this work, I thought I was protecting my clients by allowing them to talk more in generalities about what happened or just mm-hmm. kind of putting some time frames but not having them you know talk about the details mm-hmm. and um, I realized later that um, I thought I was protecting them but I think I was really protecting myself I didn't yeah. want to hear the details mm-hmm. um, when I realized that I had actually just tried to run a process just to be able to somebody safe all of the details yeah. um, of what happened to them um, so just hearing some of the horror was was hard um, it's also hard if I feel like I'm working harder than the client is mm-hmm. you know I so desperately want them to get better but they're scared to get better mm-hmm. and I recognize that they're that they're scared but there's sometimes a rut even if it's an uncomfortable rut feels safer than than stepping out of it into the unknown. Mm-hmm. And so where complex trauma survivors often from childhood, there's no something different from the sense even though all these symptoms and even though it's distressing to them, at least it's known. Mm-hmm. And so the healing process can be really terrifying. Um, but as a counselor, it's that's part of what we look at. That's part of the work is, is you know, addressing that fear, addressing that resistance so that they take steps forward um, without getting frustrated in themselves 
when I am stepping into a rescuer and kind of a rescue rather than kind of going, hey, I can't really give her that faith in God. I can't mm-hmm. facilitate her as a faith. Please help me take these steps. I can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. And so helpful that the comfort group can support me. They're ready and they can try to help get them there. But that can be a very difficult mm-hmm. group. Um, and then I guess the other maybe third area that can be really difficult is with sometimes cultural trauma survivors that have their identity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, you know, early on in my counseling career, last semester, I kind of learned the hard way by making myself too accessible to trauma. Um, so I would rely on a friend mm-hmm. outside of office hours. And I, um, because they were really having trouble coping in their life, you know, or in their um, community, there for them in this sort of, Christian speaking way, mm-hmm. um, but it got to the point where um, I got hurt from them, like every day, multiple years, maybe more, mm-hmm. um, and and I was burning out totally, and it finally came through, and my husband was also a marriage trauma therapist who works with women in marriage counseling, and he mm-hmm. kind of said, um, was telling me for months, it's like, you're too involved, you need to set boundaries, this isn't any good for you, it's not good for the family, and I'm like, but, you know, I think it's just a little while longer, mm-hmm. and until I finally realized that I might have to totally get out of the field of I'm with the wound there, I would have to stop seeing her and everyone else currently, mm-hmm. and potential clients in the future that I won't be able to help, mm-hmm. because I haven't been able to mm-hmm. set you know, set the limits, and that was really hard. It was a really hard lesson, mm-hmm. and it was really hard when I felt like I was so, um, you know, I'm no longer willing to accept phone calls outside of office hours, or you can call me maybe twice a week during office hours, outside of session times, and mm-hmm. and that was devastating for her, but it actually ended up being really positive because it started to get, I, unknowingly, I fostered a kind of dependency, and when I put a limit on that she actually got better faster mm-hmm. which was really hard for me to take because it's like really like I might have actually been preventing her from yeah. getting better by by sacrificing so much in ways that I thought would help her get better mm-hmm. and it probably was like well glad I learned my lesson yeah. um, and I think it's really important whether you're a counselor or just helping someone that you don't promise something that you can't keep giving long term. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my students, it's like, okay, if you're seeing someone who's a complex trauma survivor and you're you're compassionate with what goes up to them and you think, well, I wouldn't normally give someone like this a number, but when I really get it in, mm-hmm. you know, I can do kind of extra just to get them through this hard patch. It's like, um, okay, first of all, think about what can you offer that you can do still be doing 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. So don't think of it as a short fix. It probably won't be. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, you know, and also think about if you have 10 complex trauma survivors or 15 on a caseload at once, what can you give each of them? Like, yeah. so what are you willing to give this one that you would still have enough left to give to, to, to another? No. <laughs> you know, and that, yeah. so learning how to do that, I guess. Yeah. That's the, the goal. 
And that's what that's what I love about boundaries. Since I read a book about it, I think it was by Tom Thompson. I love that book. I highlighted I highlighted that entire that's book. It was so good. Um, is that it's like a lot of people think, oh, like people pleasers, which I am a former, like very much so. We think, oh, like we're hurting people. Like you know, if we do that, we don't. We want to like help them and all that. Like we want to please that person because right. it's kind of like I feel unsafe when I don't. But in reality, it like, you know, through the book, they talk about you're doing them a favor because they take responsibility for what they are supposed to do and you're responsible for what you are. And if you keep letting them push that fence that you've built or whatever you have, they're going to keep taking. It's kind of like the saying, like, give them an inch, they're going to take a mile or something like that. So, And like what can end up happening is that you end up having to like such a firm boundary because you're burned out mm-hmm. that you then abandon them and mm-hmm. and you basically everything gets undone that you mm-hmm. were trying to do like with that one client that mm-hmm. you couldn't get through because you can only do that for so long and so ultimately it's just going to be hurtful to them yeah that's that was a very interesting thing they talked about was no matter what it's going to be painful like like putting boundaries like the other person no matter like what kind it is they're not going to like it like right. it's because it's taking away something that they used to have access to right so that that was really good um so if a parent were to come to you what would your advice be on how to raise healthy independent adults well appropriate limits is part of that and that's mm-hmm. what we were just talking about giving a child everything they want isn't necessarily teaching them mm-hmm. yes and no it's that but that will continue to happen and that's just not going to happen if, yeah. if people aren't going to do that for them for sure. and um, you know part of it has to do with um, really being a safe kind of person for them so they do have to have limits and do have to be kind of appropriately discipline kids mm-hmm. and um, trying to focus on rewards rather than punishments mm-hmm. and which is not helpful in general um, but being yeah being stringent and patient with our schools or or whatever um, there's a lot more these days that's been written about and acknowledged that you know attachment is important and that the importance of that attachment with with parent parents and family caregivers so, you know, back when I was being raised and even when I was raising, um, you know, young adult boys, you mm-hmm. know, the idea was that you have to develop good sleep hygiene. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just let the child scream, you know, and after you've a couple of times gone and bathed their bum and they've let them sleep till their father falls asleep, then you don't really let them do that anymore. Yeah. Well, from an attachment-based perspective, that, that baby that young child be absolutely terrified mm-hmm. um, to not have that attachment figure with them if they don't have been safe. And yeah. so it doesn't mean that that then eventually they get too young to put themselves to sleep, but there's some kids that might not be so long coming. So I still lie down with our eight-year-old. We adopted our grandson, mm-hmm. so we have an eight-year-old, a seven, two and a half, and a three-year-old. Yeah. Um, and we didn't do that with them, partly because I was just so exhausted. Um, at the end of the day, it's like it's bedtime, shut the door, <laughs> you know. 
but then in recognizing that, no, this that doesn't work for this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, try to do that. He'll just be be up for another big trip, you know, at the time or whatever. Um, he'll have good sleep and so it's like, okay, I'm obviously not doing it for me because for mm-hmm. me it's better to just lie down with him until he fell asleep. You know, the time has become less and less and less. And I'm going to have to be, you know, he's little. I'm going to have to have 45 minutes. Because it'd be frustrating because it's like, okay, I only have a couple of hours in the evening yeah. with my husband, you know, when yeah. he's asleep and I treasure that time, mm-hmm. you know, but but I'm not getting that time, which is pretty tough work, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone's just upset. I'm frustrated. Child's frustrated. Um, so... So what I finally came down to, no, this is what he needs, and I'm his mom, and so if it takes an extra 40 minutes, then that's what it takes, mm-hmm. and that's what we're called to do as parents. Yeah. And so now, often it's 10, 15 minutes. You know, would I like him to have that 10, 15 minutes to myself? Yes, I would. Yeah. Um, but I, um, but he still needs that. Yeah. You know, for other reasons, you know, he's adopted. He has his animal issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so he just needs that extra security of knowing that mom and dad is is there with him. Yeah, and that's. I remember learning more about that, and something I can't like a narrative I can't really stand that people talk about is like with uh, children and and babies is you can't spoil them or you can't like you shouldn't give them. Well, like clearly you should not give them everything that they want, but even with infants people will be like oh let them cry themselves to sleep and one thing i learned is when like that child depends on your safety like it it's even in the first like less eight months or something around that time that baby believes that the mother is the baby like there's no separation right so it's like when you think that they are just going to put themselves to sleep cry themselves out they're in so much fear they're like because my mom hasn't come back I have to soothe myself I can't rely on her anymore and it's such a sad fact and a lot of people don't realize it but when you do you know stay with them and you show them like I am a safe space like you can rely on me they become more independent than if you didn't do that right because the whole attachment literature shows that what you're doing is establishing a secure space Mm -hmm. And then when the the child feels safe enough, then they will start to explore. Mm -hmm. So, (coughs) excuse me. So what you'll see toddlers do who are feeling, who have that secure attachment is, you know, in a strange situation, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll be clinging on to their mom and then Mm -hmm. they may get their parents and take some toys and whatever. So then they maybe crawl over or fall over like some of the toys, but then they'll look back like her mom's still there mm-hmm. mom's still there then maybe they'll get really big and like even go into the next room yeah. where there's something interesting but then they'll run back maybe to see that mom's there so that mm-hmm. mom's got secure base that they can you know explore from but if that secure base isn't there then everything is scary there's no yeah. secure base and so there's just anxiety mm-hmm. um, so then that child has trouble going to school or being separated from mom so a child who's securely attached you know, they might cry at first, but they will soon learn that uh, mom's still there mm-hmm. and mom picks me up, you know, after school or Tuesday, um, you know, whatever, she's still there, mm-hmm. there for me and I can rely on her and there's still that emotional connection. And so mm-hmm. then that allows them to 
we were thinking the next you know next level is going to be stars mm -hmm. and uh, and so it's a little it's a bit counterintuitive I think mm -hmm. because that's the other way of thinking of stars it's the same kind of stars that astrology has and then it gets explained like well mm -hmm. no they're creamy they don't have a secure base yeah um, and so really it's impossible right at you know, certainly within the first year that there's no such thing as spring yeah. or tide. Yeah. Then, you know, as they get a little older, you do have to start saying, well, when it's for, for your safety, mm -hmm. there's, there's a proverb that you know, kind of warns you that you don't just have to up and see what they do that are dangerous. They can sometimes help you. They mm -hmm. can certainly have all the candy that they, that they want. So mm -hmm. um, they can't, you know, they will answer their every, every whim if it isn't helpful. But, you know, infants they don't have any of those cognitive process processes they 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 need what they need mm -hmm. and i feel like that is like parallel to our relationship with god because it's like we if we didn't have that secure base with him we would have no hope to go back to in those situations where we're suffering or we have trials or we're even going into the unknown i mean there's so many instances like like examples like a Moses like of course he didn't want to go you know he was terrified at times but he had that he had God and he knew that God was faithful right and that's such a good I just like that comparison and parallel a lot and it really shows I think it really shows how we're how parents are called to be that safe space for their children yeah. so finally last question um, what scripture has this field of study particularly drawn you to find comfort in and give to those who struggle with topics? Yeah, you know, there's not like one scripture verse. Mm -hmm. um, I love the Psalms mm -hmm. because they have such a range of emotion mm -hmm. from from gratitude, thankfulness, and kind of worship to anger and bitterness. Mm -hmm. um, um, so, you know, what when I'm discouraged or feeling down, you know, there there are examples in the Psalms that it's okay, you know, to, to be to be discouraged. But then the Psalms also, you know, very often what they'll do is they'll kind of start with, you know, you're a great God and then mm -hmm. but you know, why like why are you allowing these enemies to so pursue me and you know, yeah. they're wanting to kill me and you know, whatever. And then end with, okay, but but you're God mm -hmm. and I trust you. And I just think that's such a helpful perspective that we can rail at God, we mm -hmm. can be angry, we can um, talk to him about our despair, depression. Mm -hmm. um, and we may not be able to do what the psalmist does, you know, right away. We may mm -hmm. not be able to put it in perspective right away. But yeah. ultimately, you know, as we spend time, you know, maybe it's hearing a good sermon or whatever, mm -hmm. or where we kind of go, oh, yeah. But you're God, and you know, and okay, I can be okay with that until tomorrow, yeah, or, or, or whatever. Yeah, so, no kidding. Um, but the the the, the verses um, that talk about God being there no matter what, you know, both in the heights and depths, mm -hmm. and um, you know, um, there's some very meaningful kinds of that it doesn't matter what's going on with me, God knows me and he mm -hmm. understands. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of the five that I think of as being kind of 
but they were small and not real good. I remember they were exactly what I was discussing earlier about giving them away and fighting them with the women. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, I was like texting um, Bill and other women I knew that I was still living with. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just would keep promises that they never do or do really well. I just would end up going to the fight and lose fights. Mm-hmm. Or I would cause those fights as a rival because you have lots of inter-character aspects of being on the opposite mm-hmm. side that not have like personality but just have many aspects of myself that I don't know you or I don't even know what's happened to you and I don't need to ask you again if I don't have that mm-hmm. that's when it was hardest with him yeah the one verse I uh, I think of is the one where he's uh, I think it's a psalmist says you've collected my tears and you've stored them in a bottle and mm-hmm. yes I love that verse because it truly shows goes to show it's like you shouldn't be afraid to go to God about what you're in pain about because he wants to know and he wants to be there for you he's even collected the tears that you've cried right. from those things it's it's so comforting it's it just shows the depth of his love for his creatures yes. so yeah well, thank you so much for coming in. It was really great to have you. Um, did you have anything, any last thing you'd want to say to any uh, to the listeners? Um, not really. Um, unless any of you considered a home certificate, if you have the background mm-hmm. for it, because even if you're not planning on being a counselor, it could be helpful just in your understanding yeah. what happens with people families with your friends mm-hmm. um, or your church members or whatever yeah. so. awesome well thank you you're welcome